A history of bloody battles, deadly diseases, fearsome fires, and mysterious murders in a city that was dependent on savage slavery until the start of the Civil War makes for a perfect haunted setting. In 1779, 240 were killed when the city was under siege, leaving restless spirits of unsettled soldiers to linger. In 1820, a tenth of the city's population was decimated by yellow fever. 1,066 people lost their lives from the disease, and many of their spirits may linger there today. The outbreak of disease in 1820 was accompanied by additional devastation on the morning of January 11th. A rapidly spreading fire broke out in a stable. The blaze destroyed 500 buildings before dwindling that afternoon. But it wasn't the first catastrophic fire the city endured. In 1796, a deadly fire ravaged the city, destroying 229 houses and 146 outbuildings. The untimely deaths resulting from these fires is said to have perplexed the deceased. They may be forever linked to their place of passing. Until the start of the Civil War, this city was heavily dependent on slave labor. Stories suggest that those once enslaved still seek vengeance against their captors. Welcome to Destination Terror your passport to the scariest places in the world. From haunted hotels to locations of unexplained creature sightings, we will travel to places that will provide excitement, adventure, and horror. Today we are discussing Savannah, Georgia, one of America's most haunted cities. So if you are into travel and all things scary, listen close and you might just discover your next exciting adventure destination but hopefully not your final destination. Destination Terror is an EerieCast original podcast hosted by me, Carmen Carrion. If you would like to send us a suggestion or submit a story with your own experience, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Carmen Carrion. If you enjoy the show, Please follow and rate Destination Terror on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to help us grow. Also, check out EerieCast.com for more scary podcasts, such as Tales from the Break Room, featuring allegedly true and terrifying stories that happened on the job. It was an unusually chilly December morning in Savannah, where the weather was usually mild even in late fall. Carrie had been shivering since she woke early that morning and couldn't seem to shake the cold. She knew that if she was cold, then her mother, Eliza, was probably freezing. At 70, she was slight and frail and always complaining about the aches and pains brought on by the colder seasons. Carrie could almost feel the wind creeping in through every crack and crevice of her bedroom in the back of the house and the feeling was magnified by a loose shutter banging repeatedly on the wall outside her bedroom window. Carrie climbed out of bed begrudgingly and grabbed her house coat from the bedpost. She flung it over her shoulders and wrapped herself tightly inside before leaving her room and heading down the hallway to check on her mother. She found her beside her bed in her rocking chair with her spectacles perched on the tip of her nose and a book in hand. Carrie was amazed that she could still see enough to read even with the spectacles. 
Good morning, Mama. How are you? Carrie inquired pleasantly. Without looking up from her book, Eliza answered sharply. Cold, as usual. I'll throw another log on the fire, Mama, and see if I can warm it up in here, she said as she walked over to the fireplace that now only held darkening embers. Carrie grabbed the last log from the firebox, making a mental note to add fetching more wood from the stack in the backyard to her to-do list. After she had the fire beginning to rekindle, she grabbed a knitted blanket from the cedar chest at the foot of her mother's bed. Here, Mama, she said as she tucked the blanket around her mother's lap. Maybe this will warm you up until the fire's good and burning. Thank you, dear. Her mother responded, her eyes still locked on the pages of her book. No doubt lost in some heated romance from long ago. Those tended to be her favorite stories these days. Carrie smiled and closed the door as she left the room and headed for the kitchen. Breakfast was one of her favorite parts of the day these days, since their new boarder had moved in. Maggie was 34, just two years younger than Carrie, and their closeness in age wasn't the only thing they had in common. Maggie was a soon-to-be divorcee, and Carrie had been divorced for over a year now. It was rare to meet anyone who understood because divorce was so taboo. Even though in 1909, even an abused woman had to prove without a doubt the abuse, or divorce would be denied, and in many cases, even after the proof, the woman would be shunned by her peers. Every morning, Carrie and Maggie would meet at breakfast and talk about their lives and their plans for the future. Carrie's future was her mother and the boarding house, but she was okay with that. Maggie, on the other hand, planned to be a seamstress and start her own business. She had even offered to teach Carrie a few things that she didn't know about sewing. Both young women were optimistic about the future, and a new budding friendship only made the outlook seem brighter. But this cold December day was about to take a dark turn. Maggie was already waiting in the kitchen when Carrie arrived. She was staring down into a cup of coffee deep in thought. She jumped when Carrie entered the room. I'm sorry, Carrie laughed. I didn't mean to startle you. Maggie, with her hand on her chest, replied, It's okay. I'm a little jumpy this morning. I had the most horrible dreams last night. I couldn't go back to sleep, so I made some coffee. I hope it's okay. As she heard this, she reached across the table and grabbed a cup of coffee. She had poured it for Carrie when she heard her get up. Carrie beamed a smile at her, and she accepted the hot cup of coffee. Well, I don't mind at all. Kind of nice having the coffee waiting on me for a change. I was thinking I could help you with breakfast, too. Maggie added, but just then, there was a knock at the door. Carrie took a step in that direction, but Maggie held up her hand. I'll get it. You enjoy your coffee. And with that, she left the kitchen. Carrie pulled out a chair and sat down, thinking how she could get used to this. But her thoughts were interrupted by the sounds from the foyer. Maggie's voice was raised and surprised, and she heard her ask, What are you doing here? She sounded as if she was about to say something else, when Carrie heard a thump and a crash, followed by grunts 
and moaning. It all happened so fast. She almost dropped her cup of coffee in the floor as she placed it on the table and hurried from the kitchen. When she walked in the foyer, for a moment she thought she must be seeing things wrong. Maggie was laying in the floor with blood coming from her nose, while a man, whose face she couldn't see, was kicking her repeatedly in the ribcage with obvious blind rage. Carrie stifled a scream with her hand, but it was too late. He had heard her, and his attention turned in her direction. She ran from the room in terror and headed to her mother's room. In the usually quiet house, Carrie could hear most noises, but her hearing had been going for some time, and without complete focus, she could not make out the sounds necessary to hear where the attacker may be. He had not followed her down the hall that much she knew. Her mother was still in her chair with her back to the door and her book in her lap. She must have nodded off while she was reading. Carrie knelt down in front of her and put her finger to her lips. Mama, be very quiet. There's an intruder in the house, and I'm going to try to lead him away. She wasn't even sure if her mother understood her. She just stared at her blankly and nodded. Carrie left the room and closed the door softly, turning the key in the lock. In her panic, she didn't realize that the lock didn't catch completely. When she heard the back screen door slam and heavy footsteps make their way across the house, she hurried to her room. She had no idea what she was going to do next, so she went to her closet and began to search for a weapon of some sort. She was digging through the armoire next when she heard a door open and her mother began to speak. Carrie's heart stopped when she heard a sickening whack and the sound of a body hitting the hardwood floor. Carrie froze when she heard the heavy steps again and knew he was coming for her. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. It is popular opinion that Savannah, Georgia is the most haunted city in America. Walk into any historic building or cemetery in Savannah and you may catch sight of ghostly presences surrounding you. The most haunted places in Savannah are often quite beautiful by day, but they take on a more sinister aura by the light of the moon. 
It could be the Spanish moss swaying gently in the trees that causes the hair on the back of your neck to stand at attention. Or maybe it's the abundance of strange ghost tour guides wandering around dressed in creepy period attire. Whatever the case may be, there are certain areas of the city that give everyone the heebie-jeebies more than others. And today I'm going to share a few of those places with you. First on my list is the Kehoe House. This house is an award-winning historic bed and breakfast on Columbia Square in the heart of historic Savannah. It's the perfect inn for romantic occasions, weddings, elopements, and anniversaries. Named the number one hotel for romance and the number 12 hotel in the United States by TripAdvisor in 2022. In 1892, this Queen Anne mansion was built on Columbia Square by William Kehoe. Kehoe was an enterprising Irishman who made a fortune in iron and became one of Savannah's most prominent businessmen. Kehoe spent $25,000 on the construction of this house, including making the home a true showcase of his iron trade. Much of the detailed trim, such as the window casings and ornate columns, were made of iron. The house features 13 guest rooms and multiple private and semi-private balconies. It is often photographed and is considered one of Savannah's most treasured historic buildings. Guests who stay at the Kehoe House have reported all sorts of haunted events happening to them while staying there. With children having passed away in the home, it is no coincidence that the ghosts of children are some of the most reportedly ghostly occurrences in the house. One of the most famous stories, despite being debunked pretty heavily, is the story of two of the Kehoe children getting stuck in the chimney. If you believe the rumors, they were never able to escape and died in that chimney. The story goes that one day, Mrs. Kehoe came home to find two of her children missing. In a panic, she looked everywhere, but they were nowhere to be found. Some time later, a foul odor began filling the house. This led the Kehoe family to look in the chimney, where they found the bodies of these two children. Fortunately, this may have never happened, but the fact still remains that many people who have stayed at the Kehoe house have experienced paranormal happenings that involve the ghosts of children. So what is going on there? There haven't been any stories where the ghosts of these children seem to interact with the living. Instead, it just seems to be the sounds of children playing. Another ghostly experience that occurs at the Kehoe house is the smell of perfumes from an aged past that have also been noticed filling hallways or bedrooms of this haunted Savannah bed and breakfast. It is said that one of the ghosts there seemed to be of the intelligent variety. An intelligent haunting is one where the ghost, spirit, entity appears to recognize the living and can interact with them. And this is said to happen often at the Kehoe house. This could be the reason why guests at the Kehoe house also often report the feeling of someone touching them while they sleep. Numerous people who have stayed at the Kehoe house have reported the ghostly phenomena. Imagine lying in bed peacefully, relaxing after a long day of exploring Savannah. The next thing you know, you feel a phantom hand on your head, or maybe it grabbed your arm. If you're looking to stay in one of Savannah's finest bed and breakfasts, the Kehoe House is certainly a place you should consider. And if you're lucky, you may just have a run-in with one of Savannah's famous ghosts. 
Next up is the Gribble House. This house is the site where three women were brutally murdered in 1909. The owner of the house was a 70-year-old woman named Eliza. She was found early in the morning on a cold December day. They had also found her daughter and another woman. There's a lot of talk about this murder because it was so brutal. The person who killed these women would be pardoned and released after only 12 years in prison. That is why many believe that the hauntings occur. It was a cold, chilly morning on December the 10th when a mother and daughter were discovered by the police. They had been beaten to death in their own home. The third woman was named Maggie Hunter and was found alive at the home. However, she would soon die from her injuries. The police found the body of the daughter, Carrie Olander, in the hallway. They had learned that this young lady was assaulted before her final breath, when her throat was slit. Carrie was only 36 years old and was staying with her mother because she was separated from her husband. Carrie may have been slightly deaf, and it is believed that she was attacked while trying to protect her mother. Eliza, Carrie's mother, was found with her skull beaten in a back bedroom. She was found sitting in her chair with her glasses at her feet. It is said that you could see the imprint of an axe on her skull. Eliza was the owner of the home and was 70 years old. Eliza was from England, just before the Civil War had decided to settle down in the peaceful town of Savannah. She settled there with her husband, R. Gribble. The home had been rented for a short time before she was killed. The third victim, Maggie Hunter, was just 34 years old. She was renting a room in the Gribble house. Her husband, J.C. Hunter, and she were estranged. Maggie had planned on becoming a seamstress, and her estranged husband brought over her sewing machine the day before. Maggie had been found at the front door, clinging to dear life. Her throat was slit and her head was also beaten. She would die three days later. However, she would be able to tell authorities who had done this. She blamed her husband. The original house was torn down and it is now a garage. However, the women still make themselves known. It is believed that the women still make themselves known because the man who murdered them did not receive full punishment. Next on my list is Factors Walk, located between Bay and River Street, Savannah, Georgia. In the late 1700s to early 1800s, Savannah was one of the leading exporters of cotton. Men known as cotton factors worked along the bustling riverfront, and it's where they set the prices for cotton worldwide. While it's not specific as to when it was built, Factors Walk is said to have been part of Savannah since the 18th century. It's believed that the first buildings to make up Factors Walk were completed as early as the 1820s. Markets had been set up long before the buildings were ever erected. It became a marketplace where various cotton goods were sold and deals were made for bulk selling. However, it is also a place where slaves were bought and sold. Since the Civil War, times have changed. But what hasn't changed is the reputation that Factors Walk has in being one of the busiest places in the city of Savannah. Despite the Civil War ravaging the country and the Union occupation, Factors Walk continued to develop a reputation where most of the city's business was done. Even today, it's become home to several hotspots that are guaranteed to be busy every day and every night. 
But just because the environment is noisy and bustling, it doesn't mean that the spirits that are said to loom around there won't go away. You might be surprised at what you may encounter or witness if you somehow end up in this part of the city. One thing you may discover is the entrance of various tunnels located in the area. What you'll notice is that the tunnel openings are sealed off. It is believed that these tunnels led to various parts of the city, or underground routes that ended in basements of various buildings. These tunnels were also running through parts of Bay Street, located near Factors Walk. It's said that the presence of men, women, and children can be heard through these tunnels, and even in the basement of some of these buildings, where they were likely connected to them. It's rumored that these might be the spirits of the slaves that were bought and sold in the years of the pre-Civil War slave trade. At night, there have been visitors of Factors Walk that have discovered a tall and dark shadowy figure that is either moving or standing around. Some visitors often felt the presence of spirits and possibly hearing faint calls of distress or similar. Since you'll be walking on cobblestone pathways and streets, don't be surprised if you end up seeing shadowy figures other than your own and the people who are around you. They may mysteriously appear one second and go away the next. This could depend on how busy factors walk in the surrounding area can get, especially during the nighttime hours. However, not all of these spirits were said to belong to those who were slaves. Over the years, Factors Walk has seen its share of misery and tragedy that would eventually end up in death. It might be likely that the spirits you may feel present might be among those who have met their untimely ends and are looking for some kind of closure. Among the stories being told, many visitors to Factors Walk have reported various occurrences most commonly, they would hear sounds of moaning and groaning. Some have even heard a few screams. Today, Factors Walk still looks very much like it did hundreds of years ago. If you explore the area, you'll find the eerie, klusky vaults, the Cotton Exchange Building, the Stone Stairs of Death, and numerous of these sealed tunnels that we talked about. Even though the tunnels are bricked over now, there are a few places where the bricks have been knocked loose. You can even reach in with your cell phone to take a picture, if you're brave enough. Our next stop is the Marshall House. If there is one place where you're looking to stay while visiting this beautiful city of the southern United States, you may want to check out the Marshall House. Not only is it great to go for the history lesson, but also for the possibility of witnessing some strange paranormal activity. Built in 1851, the Marshall House was taken over by Union General William T. Sherman's men in the winter of 1864 and used as a hospital for the troops. It has been documented that when the troops occupied the hotel, the ground was frozen and doctors were forced to bury the amputated arms and legs of patients under the floorboards. More than a century later, when the hotel was under restoration, workers found human remains. The hotel was subsequently closed and deemed a crime scene until they realized that the area was used as a surgical room during the war. There are many ghostly stories surrounding this historical building, including ghost sightings of Union soldiers walking about in uniform, one carrying his severed arm who appears to be in search of a surgeon. 
Other poltergeist occurrences include the spirit of a woman who has been seen in the restroom where one of the stalls locks itself repeatedly, even though no one is in it. Guests of the hotel have seen the misty shapes of children and experienced the feeling that someone was tickling their feet while they were trying to sleep. The Moon River Brewing Company, deemed as one of historic Savannah's most haunted locations, the Moon River Brewing Company has been visited by TV shows, ghost hunters, and ghost adventurers. The building itself was built in 1821 and was originally the City Hotel, an elegant gathering place for Savannah's high society folks. The hotel hosted many prestigious guests until General Sherman captured the city in 1864 during the Civil War. It was also a hospital, and like many medical facilities during that time period, served those struck with the yellow fever. Hundreds of men, women, and children died inside the rooms of this building. So it's not too shocking that many of the poltergeists spotted in recent years are the spirits of children. The basement is said to be inhabited by a malicious spirit the staff has named Toby. He haunts and taunts anyone who dares to venture downstairs. While upstairs, the spirit named Mrs. Johnson causes trouble of her own. Visitors to the brewing company say they've seen a woman in period clothing at the top of the stairs staring down at them. And it's not unusual for folks to feel like someone bumped into them and touched their faces, even though it's apparent that no one is there. No ghost tour would be complete without a stop in a haunted cemetery. Colonial Park Cemetery has been the stuff of ghastly lore since the 1700s. Here, tour guests may encounter the spirits of Savannah's many yellow fever victims. Yellow fever ravaged Savannah throughout the 1800s in three separate epidemics where hundreds lost their lives. While Savannah is the final resting place for more than 700 yellow fever victims, many who were taken by this vicious disease aren't resting at all. So if you're in Savannah, you have to visit the Colonial Park Cemetery where many have seen and felt apparitions of yellow fever fatalities aimlessly roaming the grounds. Landry thought the concept of ghosts was exciting, but at the same time never saw anything that truly convinced him. He was a college student at Emory University who majored in finance and had an internship with a very prestigious financial group in Atlanta. So he was not the type of person to believe things without properly analyzing all other possibilities first. Landry's dorm mate, Mac, was his polar opposite. His motto, if he had one, would be party first and then barely skim by to get a degree. He was always begging Landry to go on crazy excursions and out to parties in the middle of the week. And of course, Landry refused until the week before spring break of his junior year, when he felt the anxiety of nearing year's end dragging him down. It was time for a break from studying, and Mac, of course, had the perfect idea. Landry had expected a weekend of drinking, but what he got instead was a weekend of ghost hunting. Landry didn't care, really. He just needed a break, so he agreed and they drove Mac's beat-up Camaro southeast four hours to Savannah on a Friday evening after their last class. Mac talked the entire way, telling Landry about the history of Savannah, the most famous haunts, and where they were going first. 
He had made reservations for something called the Gribble House Paranormal Experience. It was, he informed Landry, probably the creepiest place in Savannah, at least in Mac's opinion. He had told him all about the Gribble House axe murders on the drive. He seemed to be fixated on this place because the brutality of the crimes committed there. No time was wasted on rest, at least not the first night. After they arrived in Savannah, they grabbed a cheeseburger at a checkers drive-in and began their first ghost hunt at the location where the old house previously stood, as soon as their stomachs were full. Landry was surprised when they arrived that the place was not a house at all anymore, but a warehouse. They were greeted by a guide who provided them with an impressive amount of equipment, consisting of a spirit box, a laser thermometer, a flashlight, an EMF detector, and a digital recorder. The warehouse was stiflingly hot, but the guide explained that this was deliberately done so that you may feel the temperature drop when a spirit is present. Landry didn't roll his eyes, seeing Mac's excitement was entertaining enough to keep his skepticism at bay. The guide explained the violent history of the location in detail, starting with how it began in the early 1900s, because it was the scene of a triple murder. Since then, the house itself was demolished, and a large warehouse built during World War II was built over top of it. But over a much larger area, an entire historic city block, in fact. After the brief history lesson, they were allowed to roam freely, and Landry couldn't stop thinking about those poor women. He could hear Mac talking to the equipment as he searched for hot spots of activity, asking it questions, hoping to find ghosts. Landry thought it was probably all rigged, kind of like the haunted houses he had visited back home during Halloween and generally expected for something to happen. So he wasn't surprised when the EMF detector began to light up. He did surprise himself, though, when he decided to direct a question to the spirit box he held in his hand. He remembered the names of the three women, so he asked, Is this Eliza? The response was a couple of short beeps. He then asked, Is this Maggie? And he got the same result. But when he asked, is this Carrie, he heard a loud, staticky, but audible, yes. Before he could ask another question, one word came through the voice box loudly. Help. It was clearly a woman's voice, and she sounded terrified. Landry dropped the spirit box onto the concrete floor. The lights flickered on the screen and then went off. Great. He grumbled under his breath. I will probably be paying for that. He bent to pick it up, but when he did, the air around him went cold and he could see his own breath. He stood back up so quickly that it made his head spin, but he could clearly see the person standing in front of him. It was a young woman. She had long hair down to her waist and she was wearing what looked much like the house coat his great-grandmother used to wear when he was little. He was about to speak when the woman stepped towards him and then right through him. It felt like ice water ran through his entire body and then exited the other side. His breath caught in his throat, and he squeezed his eyes shut at the shock. When he opened his eyes again, 
he saw another figure from across the room. At first, he thought it was Mac, but then the figure began to draw closer. He could make out a man, also dressed in very old-style clothing, and he was heading for him with an object in his upraised hand. As he drew near, Landry could see that it was an axe. Suddenly, he was terrified senseless, and instead of running, he covered his face and head protectively and waited for the blow. Instead, he was met with another icy invasion of his body. This time, it was so strong it knocked him over. He may have even blacked out for a moment. When he finally lowered his arms, he was laying in the floor staring up at the dark ceiling. He nearly jumped out of his skin again when someone leaned over him. Are you okay, buddy? He heard someone say. The voice was vaguely familiar. It was their guide. He helped Landry to his feet. Did you see something? The guide asked excitedly. Landry, pridefully, refused to admit anything. No, he told the man. I just tripped. Thank you for joining us to explore Haunted Savannah and some of its ghostly history. Tune in next week as we discuss another terrific location. I'm Carmen Carrion. Remember, you can send me suggestions and stories of haunted places to my email, carmencarrion at gmail.com, or follow me on Twitter at carmencarrion. Be sure to check out eeriecast.com for more terrifying podcasts. Until next time, stay safe out there until I see you at our next destination.